Welcome to the Bethel Surridge Sermon of the Week. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We hope this message provides clarity, deeper insights, and transformation for your life. We hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, Bethel family. I'm so excited to be here today to be able to preach the word to you, our online family. Love to be with you this morning. I just, one of the things I love about this season is that even though it's the darkest time of year and the sun sets quite early, we have these magnificent lights of Christmas that seem to light up subdivisions, homes, and they bring a sparkle and an illumination to the darkness. It makes me think of when I lived down south, and no, that's not Florida, that's southern Ontario, but I used to work in the States, and I would cross through a city called Detroit, Michigan. And this is not to be disrespectful, but Detroit, Michigan has a stigma about it. It's a dark city. It has a heaviness over it. There's a lot of crime. It has struggled financially. And no matter what they try to do to get it to accelerate, there seems to be a darkness over it. But this one time of year at Christmas, they have this initiative, and they light up Woodward Avenue. And it comes to light with life. It's got lights everywhere. The trees are lit. The buildings are lit. And right in the center of this big strip is a hockey rink with a massive Christmas tree that is illuminated, and it looks like it belongs in New York City. It's just enormous. And what it does is this light dispels the darkness over that city. It doesn't even look like the same city. It actually has a different atmosphere about it. And what it does is bring to mind to me the light of the world, our Savior Jesus, that we celebrate at this time of year. And you know, the funny thing about God, he's so creative. I love it. He brings light and darkness, this imagery, throughout the whole Bible. We have our two bookends in Genesis and Revelation. And God says right in Genesis, he says, let there be light. And it dispels the darkness. And very end of the book, he's talking about a new city that is going to be illuminated, not with a natural light, but the glory of God. The lamp will be the light. What an image. Isn't that amazing? And then right at the heart of the Christmas story is light breaking in to the darkness, our Savior. We see it all the way in the Old Testament. The prophets of old, in a very, very dark time of Israel, they proclaimed that there was going to be one. He was going to bring a new era of salvation. He was going to bring a salvation that would cause the lame to leap, the deaf to to hear, and the blind to see. And he said in these prophecies that there would be one that wouldn't just be a light to Israel, but he would be a light unto the nations. And in our Christmas story, we see our Savior. Right in the book of Luke, we see a beautiful story of the angel announcing the birth of our Savior. And it is explained as the glory of the Lord lit up this announcement. There was a glory and a light on it that illuminated the darkness which is very symbolic. And then we also see Simeon right after the birth of Jesus that's in the temple, and he's saying, oh, no, my eyes have seen. My eyes have seen it. This is the revelation. He is the one that is the light to the nations. Wow. And that brings me to our passage today where we're going to look at the famous star of Bethlehem that led the wise men to our blessed Savior the light of the world. So if you want to join me, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 
through 12, and I'm actually reading from the New Living Translation. It's quite a bit of passage here, but I want you to bear with me because there's a lot of power and uh, illumination in this actual passage about the light of the world. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king, the king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And I want to pause. That's the religious leaders of the day. They were confused and ignorant of the signs, it says. And it goes on to say, he called a meeting with these leaders, and he asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they responded, in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then we shift, and the, the King Herod goes to the wise men, and he calls a meeting, and he says to them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, because I want to go and worship him. And I want you to pause on that and remember that. After this interview, the wise men are sent, and the star that they had been seeing that was guiding them in the east drove them to Bethlehem, and it went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child, his mother Mary, and they bowed and worshipped him. They opened up their treasures and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country another way. Because by the revelation of God, God had warned them to not go back the way they came because Herod's intentions were to snuff out the light of the world. So they acted. Within this, we have this beautiful imagery of the star. There's so many um, theories of what this star is. Some people argue that it was a comet. Some people think that it was a falling star or even a meteor. And most people think that it would be an angel that appeared and reappeared. But one of the theories that really pressed on my heart was that given that baby Jesus is literally the presence of our living God dwelling amongst us, the light of the world, that it is plausible that this manifestation of the light is similar to the manifestation of God's Shekinah glory that appeared in a pillar of fire that led his people in the desert to the promised land. Only in this particular case, we have a light leading pagan wise men to the promise of the Savior to the nations, the light of the world. That's amazing. That's an amazing imagery. So within this, we see this contrast of the Jewish people that are supposed to be the ones that are expecting this Messiah to come, to be the light of the, na- the nations, the one that's going to restore and refresh and liberate them, to bring hope and light to this nation. But they overlook it. They overlook it. They don't even see it. They dismiss it. And then the wise men who are pagans traveling from far away, 
not even from Israel, are drawn and they respond to this light and they are drawn to our blessed Savior, the light of the world. This is a foreshadowing. For all of us that are not Jewish, we should be thanking God for the imagery that Matthew so beautifully puts into this gospel about the Gentiles being brought in through our Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Hallelujah. The light of the world to all nations. All nations. That should light up your heart this morning. That means we're in. (laughs) We're in. That's an amazing thing. And we are going to respond to that light. And in this, this, this reminds me, and I want you to catch this. There's parallels in this story. Jesus literally walks into the temple at the time of the Feast of Dedication or the Festival of Lights or what you may call Hanukkah. And he walks in to the temple. And he says to his people, the Jewish leaders, and he says, you're lighting this temple up. And I'm paraphrasing this. This is John chapter 8, verses 12. And he's lighting, they're lighting up all the torches in the, in the temple because they feel that this is where the, temp, the presence of the Lord resides. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the light of the world. I am he. I am the Messiah. And it's so powerful, the statement, because he uses the words, I am. And they echo what God said to Moses way back in Exodus where he says, who should I say is sending me? And he says, I am. It's the same word. It's a proclamation that Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the light of the world. And you have one thing. You, you, there's two options when you're faced with this. We see this in the passage of the wise men, and we see it when Jesus makes this climactic statement. You're either going to receive it and be transformed by the light, or you're going to reject it and be offended by the light. Wow. That's something that should weigh heavy on our heart. What a blessing that we've been given. We should be thankful of all God has done. But there's an action required. There's an action required, church. This makes me think of what Jesus says to his church, and I will touch on that. But I want to pull out some takeaways in this passage for you to rest on today. When we look at the model of what the wise men did, one, they responded to the light and they were drawn to it. Okay, there's a draw in the light. They recognized the king, and they worshiped him. They worshiped him. And this word that Matthew uses is a word that is specifically used when we are worshiping God or Jesus. There's an adoration. It means they fell prostrate before the king. So although the word does not say specifically what their understanding is, there is a good understanding that they knew that this was the king that came from the line of David. He was the king of the Jews. He was the proclaimed light of the world. And then right after this verse, the, the word tells us that they gave him gifts of adoration. And these gifts are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are not inexpensive gifts, and there's a stigma associated with these gifts. They're hard to come by, but what they represent is that they're typically what one would put before a king as a tribute or homage, as some people would say. So again, in this passage that Matthew is illuminating that these wise men that are Gentiles, pagans, that are coming from abroad to see the Savior, that there is a recollection and understanding and a revelation, let's say, that he is the light, he is the king, and they place the, the gifts before him. And then lastly, and this is where we're going to drive home today because of how it relates to us as the church with what we do with this message. They acted on it. They heard what God said. They understood what this gift was, and they ensured that that gift did not get snuffed out. And they listened to the Lord, and they went the way that the Lord told them instead of back to Herod. They did something with this revelation. Revelation. 
they did something with it. And this makes me think of what Jesus proclaims to his followers in the greatest sermon ever spoken. In Matthew chapter 5 to 7, he does the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking to his followers. Church, that's you and that's I. That's us. That's all of us. The believers of Christ. Those that have had their eyes open to the light of the world. That's you. And this is what Jesus says, and I'm going to read it to you. This is Matthew 5, 14 to 16. And Jesus says, not only am I the light of the world, but you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Hold that. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, that means that in this narrative of the Christmas story and the illumination of this tension between light and darkness and making a decision to either be impacted by it and transformed by it or to reject it, there's a call on the church to be the method of God's radiating presence in this world, a light in a world that is darker than it has ever been. It is an opportunity for us to be the brightest light that has ever been illuminated through the empowerment of the Spirit of God. This makes me think of a funny story, and I love stories, so you're going to have to track with me for a bit. So you all know that we're from down south, and we moved up here in 2019, and we left Windsor, and we came up to North Bay, Ontario. And Jason's grandmama, and if you haven't caught that, yes, we're French. So grandmama is Jason's grandmother. She is the backbone of the family. She has a spirit of hospitality on her. She has a heart to serve, and she's strong. This woman walks in a room, and she shifts things. And she blesses her family every year by taking the time and the heart to take a family traditions of these French recipes, and she bakes for her entire family. And this is not a small family. This is a good old-fashioned French family that's got a lot of people in it. And she takes the time to package and make this stuff and then hand deliver it to everybody. And when we moved, we were like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? We're not going to have this gift. It's going to be, oh, Jason and I won't be able to fight over the, creme, the caramel that he somehow seems to think he's entitled to because he's the grandson. Just saying. Anyhow, it's a dispute in our family. But so Abigail and I decided to take the initiative and go to grandmama's and sit with her and learn how to bake and do all of these wonderful traditions. So we took them. And these are not traditions that you just whip together and follow a recipe. They're in her heart. They're in her mind. She knows how to whip these up. They've got love and, and spirit in them. She just is fabulous. So we took it, and we did our best, and we came back. We moved to North Bay. And so I took it upon myself to start doing this in our home to the point where I did crepes so much that Abigail started to hate them. That's a whole other story. But where I'm going with this is this beautiful gift that she gave to us. We decided we didn't just want to keep it. We decided that every time someone comes to stay with us from out of town or we're hosting someone out of our family, we actually do this French tradition and we bake it for them and we invite people to sit at our table and we share this gift with them. And it just, it, it just emanates a conversation of love and joy and a chance for us to speak and give her honor. And it's a gift that keeps giving. But what I want to bring into your attention is that's what we're called to do as the body of Christ. 
that light that is in us, the light of our Savior, is the light that we're called not to put in our back pocket, but to let shine. And I'm going to go somewhere that I wasn't going to go this morning, but I just really feel the Holy Spirit um, nudging me to share this. There's a portion of this passage that says, neither do people put a light or a lamp and put it under a bowl. In 2013, February 8th, I was in a tragic snowmobile accident, and I had a battle of life and death, and it was light and life, light and darkness. And God is illuminating to me right now that I was that child that knew of his revelation, and I put my light under a bowl. And I was stuck without being able to emanate that light in his glory. And what I feel God is saying to you as a church, don't let yourself be snuffed out. Let your light shine and change what you have in front of you. You are mechanisms of change. You carry the most powerful, miraculous thing within you, which is the light of the world. We're called to be agents of change. That's a heavy call, church. And where I'm going to go with that, too, is I want to wrap up and just bring to your attention that when we present the manifold glory of God, we do things countercultural. We displace evil with good. We shift things and we dumbfound people in a good way. I mean that in a good way. They look at you in your response and they say, why? Why are you doing that? And it's a platform to emanate the love of God and the light of God. That's what we are, carriers of that. We have the ability to make an impact. The first century church started out with radical transformation. And it is said that by the time Constantine took the throne, which is approximately 320-ish AD, that more than, and I want you to catch this, more than 60% of the population were believers. Did you hear that? 60%. And do you know what they did? And we're back to this tension of light and darkness. They either offended people terribly or they shifted things and caused people to be provoked and drawn to respond to the light of the world. And that is what we're called to. That is what's wrapped up in this Christmas story of light and darkness. We're called to displace that darkness in radical ways. In radical ways. That means in your homes, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your friendships. Wherever you are, you do things differently. You show the most amazing story of love that ever hit the face of this planet. That's Jesus, the light of the world. And with that, I'm going to give you a few take-homes so that you can wrap up this. And what do we do with this? How do we display this? How do we run it home to all the people that we love and care about who may not understand the real meaning of Christmas, who may not understand that the story doesn't stop with the baby in the manger, that the divine son of God busted into his creation, not just to say it, but to change it, to bring liberation and restoration. So one, be an open table and a sounding board to the all people. Welcome all people to hear, inquire, or participate in this light. Jesus sat with sinners. I want to remind you, it's not a them and an us. There's no divide. There's not a them and an us. We as the church are called to bring the light to the nations. Every nation. Every person. 
It doesn't matter what it looks like. That's the call of the church. That's the heart of God. Right back from the call of Abraham when he said nations will be blessed through you. And the great commission in Matthew that closes this book that I'm reading from today. Go to the nations. To the nations. We have to understand our mission to hit this home church. And the mission is the heart of God. Amen? Amen. Number two. We steward the light to those in darkness, and that's a demonstration. That's an acts and words and deeds. Our words are not as powerful when our deeds and our acts don't line up. And we are called to demonstrate the ultimate love of God, which is in the miracle story of Christmas. God love, God is love, and he wants us to reciprocate that love in a way that the darkness is pushed back and evil is displaced with good. That's what we do. In the busyness of the season, I welcome you to help the stranger, approach the social outcast, go to those in need, and respond with the Father's love. The Father's love. And again, church, this is a reminder that love is only possible to cultivate through the power of the Spirit of the living God. Galatians 5, 23, 20, 22, 23. It says that it's the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, that love. So press in and seek that. That is readily available to all of us light carriers. And last thing, and this is one that's so heavy on my heart because I really believe the church should reflect the glory of God. They should reflect the glory of God. Let your light shine. We're called to carry his glory. We're called to carry it and steward it in ways that we can't even imagine doing in our own. We're supposed to push back the darkness with his glory until he comes and his true presence. We have that new kingdom, the unshakable kingdom that is going to just emanate with his glory. Until that day, church, we're called to carry his glory into the darkness. Into the darkness. Light it up. Light it up, church. Light it up. Light it up. And you can only do this by pressing into him. This comes from your source. Your light is only as bright as your power supply, which is him. You got to press in, church. You got to tap into him. You got to sit in his glory, sit in his presence so that you emanate his presence. So his light bounces out into that darkness and it dispels all the evil that is amongst us because we carry the kingdom of God within us, the light of God within us. Blessed be the Savior that came to this earth to redeem, restore, and liberate and let his light shine. Church, let his light shine this Christmas season. When you look at your lights on your tree, remember the ultimate light. When you're fellowshipping with, with your family and they're sitting at your table, don't overlook the light of the world. When you're in a touchy situation, don't put a bushel over your light. Let it shine, church. Let it shine. Let it shine. Light is not equal to darkness. Light is more powerful than darkness. Amen? So I just invite you this morning. I'm going to close in prayer. But I'm going to open up the altars for you if you would like prayer. And the reason why I say that is if you have a bushel over your light or you recognize that maybe you don't know the revelation of the light of the world and you want to know him, you'll never follow him if you don't know him, church. If you don't know who he is, you cannot follow him. You will just know about him. Pastor Curtis touched on this a few weeks ago. We must know him. We must know him. 
And it's available to all of us. That light is available to all of us. It's the most inclusive statement I've ever heard in all my life. It's everyone. We're all invited to his table. So I'm going to open up the altars if you want prayer for a breakthrough, that your light would be more powerful and have more influence and more potency in this darkness that we are dwelling amongst. You're not here by mistake. We are in this earth for a reason at this time. Why? Because we're going to reflect the glory of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you for the Savior God. Thank you for the Savior God. Father, I just ask for an anointing over each person today, online and in this house, that we would have a fresh awakening over our eyes and our hearts to see the glory of God and the light of the world that came to us in the blessed Savior Jesus Christ of Nazareth. My God, open our eyes. Give us the revelation of the mystery of God that we would know you, Father. Give us a fresh eye to look at this passage. God, I ask for transformation in the body of Christ, that we would be carriers of the glory and the light of God that would displace darkness like never before. Father, put a draw in our heart to let our light shine like never before. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Hey, everyone. Wow, what an amazing service. So glad to have each and every single one of you part of our, our service today. You know, while you were listening to the pastor speak, maybe there was something that was said that really kind of grabbed, it jumped out at you, grabbed your heart. Well, I believe that that is God trying to get your attention. And you might be like, well, why would God be trying to get my attention? Well, you know what? Because Jesus really desires to have a relationship with you. And uh, it's really actually very, very simple. It's as easy as A, B, C. That, you know what? We admit that we are a sinner, that we have messed up, and there's no way we can get to heaven on our own. So we admit that. We believe in our heart that what Jesus has done for us, when he died on the cross, when he came back to life, we believe that that is really true. And then we can call upon the name of the Lord and we will be saved. The Bible is so clear on that. And actually we have a video that explains much more in detail for you. And you know what, we would actually love to talk to you as well about this, which we have a connect information that you can fill out. We would love to connect with you and pray with you. But if you just listening to me speak today, if you hear that, you know, why don't you just close your eyes and pray with me really quickly today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for coming and dying on the cross for us to take our place. Lord, I ask that you would just forgive us of our sin. We believe that you did come, that you died, and that you rose from the dead. And we call upon your name because we know that it is only your name that we can be saved. We thank you for this. In your name, amen. You know, if you've prayed that today, we believe that you are now part of the family of God. And we do. We want to connect with you. So we just encourage you, fill out our little uh, connect information here. It's going to be on the screen that you can easily see. And we would love to reach out to you. We would love to pray with you and help walk along the new uh, and, and show you the new steps, the next steps to go ahead with. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We look forward to connecting with you. Have a blessed day.